Hey, we're continuing on in our Kingdom of God series. And uh, if you're new here or you're joining us for the first time online, welcome. My name's Joel. We've been doing this series for about a month now on the Kingdom of God. And has it been good? Yeah. Great. That's my weekly encouragement. Thank you. Appreciate it. My tank is full for another week. Um, and, and it's been great. The idea has been to teach on Matthew 5 through, through 7, but we've spent a few weeks preparing like getting our mindset right for Matthew 5. We finally got into Matthew 5 last week, and now we're about to like just exit Matthew 5 for a bit because we need to build something around it before we go into the next bit. So uh, that's sort of our, our journey so far. And if you're just joining us for the first time, you can just catch up online if it's of interest to you because each week sort of builds into the next week. So you definitely need to hear today's message in the context, especially of last week's message, but of all the other messages gone before, okay? So we got a little recap uh, thing we can put up here, uh, which would be great. Uh, this is what we've been talking about, just simplifying it. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's effective rule. What does that mean? It's where what he says goes. That's why Jesus asked us to pray, your kingdom come. And what did he mean by that? Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is his king. The kingdom of God is the realm of his effective will. Uh, it's good news because it always talks about how it's the good news of the kingdom of God because it's the way of true human flourishing. When our will syncs up with God's will, that is the way of human flourishing. And we, we did a message about all the different sort of good newses in this world and how the kingdom of God stands out and has stood against the test of time as the good news that actually consistently leads people in all circumstances through all times to a true way of flourishing. We talked about how this is the good life. Living in God dependence, not self-reliance. And that this is the way to the good life. Uh, and last week we talked about how it's available to everyone and anyone. Blessed, 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 blessed. We talked about the Beatitudes, about it doesn't matter where you've come from. It's God's way of saying it's open to you. My rule is open to your life. And so that's what we've been doing but as a way of getting ready for this week, Jesus would go on to tell a story in Matthew 22. Uh, if you want to read that later, you can do that. I'm just going to retell the story. And he also tells a version of the story in Luke 14. He tells a version of the story. And this is an important bridge, this story, between last week and what we'll be talking about this week. And it's the parable of the great banquet, uh, if you've ever heard of it. In Matthew's version of it, he tells about Jesus telling it this way. Jesus probably had multiple ways he told it. That's why there's different ways. You know, like Jesus preached for three years and we've only got a certain amount of messages. So we're just getting some snippets. That's why there's differences between the Gospels. And so um, Matthew 22, anyway, Jesus goes, there's, there's a great banquet. Imagine the kingdom of God like this. There's a great banquet and it's like an A-list party. The king is putting on a party. It's an A-list party and all of the A-listers are invited. The rich the wealthy, the uh, royalty, the celebrities, the sports stars, you know, they're all invited. It's going to be an amazing party. Everyone's received their invite. But when the day of the party rolls around, everybody's a bit busy. They're like, man, I've got a deal to do today. Well, I actually have to fly over to here. Actually, I've got a meeting with this person. I've got some stuff to buy and some stuff to sell. And so on the day of this A-list, it's been in all the magazines, it's about to happen party, all of the guest list is a no-show. And the king's like, gets a bit angry about like, what do you mean 
the people I put on the party for aren't turning up. And so he goes, well, let's just invite anyone then. Like, just just get out there. Don't worry about the A-listers. Don't even worry about the B-listers. Don't worry about the C-listers. Get the no-listers. You know, let's just get the people that would never get an invite. Let's go find the homeless. Let's go find the addicts. Let's go find the people in a hospital on their deathbed. Let's just find people that would normally not get to go to a party and let's invite them to this party. And this is the essence of what we were talking about last, last week when Jesus is like, blessed, blessed, blessed. In the kingdom of God, anyone can be blessed. But then it's got this funny turn because then the, king, the servants go out and do that and the party's all happening and the king turns up to the party. And uh, he looks around and he's like, oh, that's amazing. And then he spots somebody that's not dressed appropriately, doesn't have the wedding outfit on. And, uh, and, and he's like, he points the person out, makes them stand up. He's like, why are you dressed like that? And he's like, oh, doesn't tell us what he says. And, and he goes, well, grab him, throw him out. He's not allowed to be a part of this party. How dare you come to my party dressed how you want to be dressed? Is the essence of the story. And this is the story that sets up last week to what we're going to be talking about this week because while the message of Jesus and his kingdom says you can come as you are, you can come as you are, it doesn't say you can come as you like. The kingdom of God says come as you are, but it doesn't say you can come as you like. You might be thinking this is a really confusing story. It is a bit confusing, but if you understand some of the parallels in Scripture a bit, clothes are a symbol used often in Bible writing for whether or not you have accepted the righteousness of Jesus over your life. That actually it quite often writes about when we're following Jesus to take off our old clothes. And even Isaiah would write that even your best effort at following God on your own and doing good is like filthy rags. To Jesus. These are horrible clothes. And unless you would exchange them for the washed clothes of Jesus that he offers us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and faith in that, um, that's the clothes he's looking for. We see this even in the story of the prodigal son, and we'll finish today's message there in Luke 15. We sung about it, uh, that, that the son comes home with a certain state of heart and because he comes home with that certain state of heart, actually the, the father quickly puts a robe on him and invites him into the party. He doesn't let him, he can come as he is, but he can't come into the party as, he's, as he likes. That there's a dress standard in the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear this. This is the big idea that you can come as you are, but you cannot come as you like. And that's, how, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today's question, we're answering this, how do we get into the kingdom of God? How do we get in on the kingdom of God? I know if you know a little bit of your Bible, you've been around church for a while, the answer to this question, you'll probably go, well, we get in by faith. We get in by faith. And be like, yeah, cool, gold star for you, great job, gold star. You, right answer, but faith's a really big idea. Faith's a really big word. Faith is very loaded. Faith has a lot to it. So what type of faith? What, what way should faith be expressing itself if we're going to come in not as we are, but also as God desires that we come in? What, what would faith, how would it manifest itself in our life? How would it appear in our life? 
and we've got to talk about this big idea of repentance. Repentance. You can come as you are, but you can't come as you like. Repentance is how we come to the kingdom of God. Let me just show you some examples in the scripture. Feel free to take a photo of this. You can read them all in their context later. Repent. This is John the Baptist before Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come as you are, but not as you like. Jesus, from that time on, he began saying, Jesus himself, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 8, Jesus would say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This isn't important because it teaches us about what repentance really is. That's a good one to read later. Mark 1, 15, Jesus again, repent and believe. Uh, Mark 6, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So John the Baptist did it, Jesus did it. Now the apostles are sharing the same repentance message, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Luke 3, 3. And we can keep going because it doesn't stop there. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. This is the words of Jesus. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, we talked about that last week. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And there's more. So we keep going. Even in the writings of the Apostle Paul, we go, for you do not presume on the riches of the kindness and the forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Blessed, blessed, blessed is supposed to lead you to repentance. For godly grief produces a repentance. That leads to salvation. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote that. Uh, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance. It's a foundational idea. We're talking about foundational things today, not expert things. Let's go back to the beginnings. Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And even in the last book of the Bible, remember therefore from where you have fallen, this is speaking to the church, repent and do the works you did at first. It would be hard to read the New Testament as we see and think that just because you can come as you are means you can come as you like. You would have to read with blinkers on, with blinders, with a filter that would go, oh, I've already decided something. But if you were to read it openly, you would realize that the kingdom of God message that is open to everyone doesn't mean you can come into it however you like. That sometimes we say that and we assume that it just means I can come, I can come as I am, but it doesn't mean I can come as I like. And I really want this to stick with us today. We'd have to ask the question and answer it hopefully today then, what is repentance? And what is repentance? Because if I were to ask most people, like I'd ask my children, what is repentance? They'll be like, it's, it's being sorry or it's feeling sorry and it's acknowledging what I'm sorry for. 
And most people, I imagine, if I ask you, you would have a similar answer. And while there's an element of that in repentance, that barely scratches the surface of what the scripture really means. Repentance is not sorry. Sorry, sorry. Repentance is something else. If Jesus said if everyone was just sorry, they could enter the kingdom of heaven, he would have said sorry. The Greeks had a word for sorry, but he didn't use that word. He used a different word. He actually used this word. We get to do a little Greek study. Meta Noel. Meta Noel. I just keep saying that because I've been listening to the YouTube thing on how to pronounce it. <laughs> Meta Noel, not Meta Noeo. Um, and this is uh, what it means. It's two words joined together. One means movement or change. And the other, we can see the similarities between that word and neurology and those sorts of things, right? Means it refers to the mind and its thoughts and its perceptions and its dispositions and its purposes. So as you can see, repentance does not mean to be sorry. It means to change the way you think. That would be like the simplest definition, but there's more to it. It's a deeper word than that. We could talk about how Repentance actually is faith. Repentance is agreeing with God. That's what faith is. It's trusting the way he sees the world and our lives. Repentance means to change my mind. It's to change my inner person. It's particularly changing with reference to the will of God and my will rather than rejecting his will, accepting his will. This is the idea of repentance. It's the giving up of the course of your life that is being denoted by your own ways and instead making the course of your life defined by His ways. It's to think differently. It's to reconsider the way you've been thinking. It's to reconsider the way you've been living. It's, it is a reversal. It involves turning it, it, it theologically in the Bible, it definitely involves regret or sorrow, these elements of sorry, but it's always accompanied by a true change of heart towards God. It includes the negative, what you're turning away from, but it also includes the positive of what you're turning now towards. This is repentance. It always involves turning from sin, but what's sin? Sin is living as the God of your own life. Sin is living not trusting God. Sin is living self-reliant. And then that manifests itself in all the dumb stuff we do. But sin starts way back from there. And it's always turning towards God in faith. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote, and we could read this. He said, repentance is not an emotion. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's a decision. It is deciding that you have been wrong in supposing you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong in your thinking or, or, or that you had or could get the strength, education and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world and it's deciding that God and Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is the realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. 
Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. Repentance is the most practical of all words and the most practical of all acts, and it's a feet-on-the-ground kind of word. Repentance. I guess we don't really talk about repentance much in church, right? Because we don't really like to talk about sin or hell or these things because we, we don't want to offend people. We don't want people to feel bad. But then we also get frustrated while we wonder why they can't quite find the life in the kingdom of God. And so we need to talk about these things. Even though there's all these perceptions about them, we need to put off those perceptions and go, if these are the words of Jesus, they're not dirty words. The holy, loving, grace-filled, truth-filled words that lead us to life if we can get them how Jesus got them. And so we need to be open to these kind of words. We need to just, just relax. Repentance. You know, we can get the difference between sorry and repentance just when you think of anything dumb you've done in your life. Especially if you've done something dumb that's really hurt someone you love. I mean, I didn't have to think much about my teenage years to think of all the dumb stuff I did that hurt my parents that I loved. I was telling a story. My mum's actually here. So we might as well tell the story, yeah. Um, they were away on a trip one time, just on a holiday, my mum and my dad, and I was supposed to be staying with my grandparents. And, uh, you know, you do those things when you're a teenager where you're like, oh, no, I'm sleeping over at so-and-so's house. But you're not. I was planning a party at my house while my parents were away. Uh, by party, I thought maybe 20 people, you know. But it didn't stay as 20 people. It turned into hundreds of people. And it turned into um, lots of things being stolen. Some of the inside of our beautiful home that my parents had worked on for years and years and years with all of its beautiful, like, native timbered walls and ceilings and beautiful stained glass that they'd made themselves and all of these, like, beautiful... It turned into the inside of our house getting tagged. All of our... We lived in a lovely little lane close with all of our neighbours. Turned into all of their fences being tagged as people raided the garage, you know, for all of these things. And, and I, I remember that sorry wouldn't cut it, right? <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, we've all done those things that you just, you're like, I was such an idiot. I, I'm so dumb. I didn't intend for that to happen, but that is the exact reason why they didn't want that to happen. And, and you, you know that you've hurt them. And you know that, like, for me, I'm like, there's no way I could work for a whole year and not fix all of that. So I'm in, I'm in too deep. And you realize in those moments that sorry, just feeling sorrowful, just feeling regret, just feeling shame, is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not trying to go, because that doesn't change anything. And it certainly doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. There is a whole way of thinking that needs to change. The thinking where I think that my parents don't know best, but I know what's best. The thinking that thinks that, oh, just let me make my own decisions because it's not really affecting anyone else. 
These sort of ways of thinking, and as we begin to understand this, we understand if anyone's married here, sorry's not good enough. Repentance is what happens, what needs to happen. A way, a way of thinking, a way of seeing, that doesn't mean you keep doing that. That doesn't mean whatever was behind that, that keeps turning up in that destructive behavior, that's the thing that needs to change, and that's repentance is the recognition and the going on the journey with God to change that. That is repentance. And why does it matter? It matters because in the Bible, everyone's called to repent. Everyone. The most spiritually onto it and the most oppressed, you know, we would look at them and think their life is not their fault. Everybody, from the people that have it all to the people who don't have anything. The people that think they've been following God for a while and the people who are very aware they haven't been following God at all. Everyone in the Bible is called to repent. There's no exceptions. There's no, um, there's no ability for us to blame someone else, to say it's someone else's fault. Everyone is called to this idea of repentance. And we can see why, because without it, we actually cheapen the mercy and grace of God. Without it, we say the sacrifice of Jesus didn't really need to happen. Because to repent is to agree with God that we need saving. It's to agree with Him that there's wrong in our lives. It's to agree with Him that we're bad at managing our lives. It's to agree with Him and what He's done. If we don't think we need to repent... We're saying pretty much that we're pretty good, so why did he need to die? This is the challenge with our current rhetoric, our psychological hypersensitivity in our world, where words are somehow weapons. It used to be sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now it's words very hurt me. Don't say them. Ban them. It's a big movement in like from me growing up to now. That's a big change. And we know that words have power, but sometimes we look at things like shame and regret as like negative psychological uh, things that are actually very damaging to people and we should never feel those things. And so we tell people that they shouldn't feel shame. But you know what? If you've been living a self-reliant life, you should feel very shamed about that so that that shame can lead you to have that shame taken off you as you enter a God-reliant life. If you've been out murdering people and using people and abusing people, you should feel deep shame about the destructive choices that you are making in your life. And that should lead you into the arms of the grace of God that you might love, know a love that you'd never known before. But in our world where we think we're so sensitive and fragile, we're so afraid to... To, to see people feel these things, we, live, we have these sayings like, live with no regrets. Well, that's a great way to make the same dumb decision over and over again. You should live with some regrets so that you don't do the same things over and over again. We, we read it before, but 2 Corinthians 17, 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. There's nothing, there's a type that God wants us to feel and to know so that it might have the ability to change us so we can come as we are but not as we like. 
I think we need repentance because it acknowledges the holiness of God. I know we love the, we love, the love of God, right? We love it. But what about the holiness of God? What about the fact that God is so other than us? He's so different than us. When we repent, we acknowledge that, that distance and that element of who he is. And here's really the thing. Repentance is necessary for reconciliation. God's goal, I don't know if you realize this, but God's goal was not that you would be forgiven. God's goal is that you would be reconciled. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. If you think in human relationships, forgiveness only requires one person. The person who was wronged to choose to no longer hold that wrong against the person. But it doesn't mean the relationship's restored. It doesn't mean it's reconciled. It doesn't mean we trust each other again. It just means I'm no longer holding that against the person who wronged me. That's what forgiveness is. And through Jesus, God offers forgiveness. Forgiveness is on offer. It's there. But God's goal was not forgiveness. God's goal was reconciliation. Reconciliation and the rebuilding of trust in a relationship, the restoring, requires two people, unlike forgiveness. It requires not only the person to offer forgiveness, it requires the person who committed the crime or the hurt to recognize what they've done and to enter a path where they will no longer do that to them again. And then in that place, trust can be rebuilt and the relationship can be reconciled. This is why repentance matters, because God's done forgiveness. And But repentance is our part of expressing our faith in Him that draws in so that we can be reconciled. And that is God's goal. Repentance matters because it's necessary for moving from self-reliance to God-reliance. See, the problem in our lives is not the lusting and the greed and the, um, you know, the, just the lying and the, 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 all of the, the sort of sins in the Bible, the envy and the jealousy and the, 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 our, our true problem of sin is not these things. Our true problem of sin is that we do not trust God, that we are not reliant on Him, that we do not live by faith where He is truly the God of our life, where His way informs our way where we live each day in every era of our lives with an intent to please Him, not to get away with what we can get away with and tick a spiritual box. And because of that, that's why repentance is necessary because we're not just feeling sorry for some dumb stuff that we've done. We're actually changing the way we operate in this world so that we would live in reliance with Him. It's not a one-time thing. It's like C.S. Lewis said it like this. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. We're not just imperfect people, just not quite good enough becoming good in Jesus. We are rebellious living as the gods of our own lives. And we can't live in the kingdom unless we lay that down. We need to merge our kingdom rule with his. That's why humility has to be the ultimate virtue in the kingdom of God. You can't really be a prideful Christian. It's, that would be like an oxymoron. 
We could be a prideful Christian because we call ourselves Christians, but you can't be a prideful disciple of Jesus because the very nature of discipleship means that you assume you don't know and you then learn from him, that you lay down all the things you think you know to learn the things that he does know. And it leads to discipleship repentance. You know, in the story in John chapter 8, there's a story of an adulterous woman who's thrown before Jesus. And, and she gets thrown, like she's been caught in the act of adultery, so she's quite vulnerable, gets thrown in, the, in front of all these Jewish men, and Jesus is there, and, and they're trying to trap him, and they go, in their law, like adultery was punishable by death, just like living in a Muslim country now. It's, this, it's the same sort of idea. And, and so they, they brought her before Jesus, and they're like, what do you think we should do, Jesus? The law says we should stone her, and he can't, he's like caught in the middle a little bit. He can't go against the law because that is the law. So he's trying to figure out this whole thing, and he goes, um, he who was without sin cast the first stone. It's like genius move. And we love that about Jesus, right, that he would say things like that. It's like, oh, that's such a good line. Yes, no one can judge me. He who's without sin cast the first stone. Like we love that. That's like no judgment, Jesus. But we don't read the rest of the story where he goes, um, they all walk away and he goes, she, he, go, he asks her, has nobody condemned you? And he goes, nobody's condemned you. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. But he goes, go and sin no more. There's a difference between condemning and judging. He absolutely judges her. He judges that the way she has been living is not the way to live. And therefore invites her, not in a condemning way, but in a grace-filled, anyone can come into my kingdom. You can come as you are, but you can't come as you like. Now go sin no more. And this is the tension. This is what we need to understand. Repentance is about following Jesus. Repentance is about not just how we get in. It's about how we go on. We're supposed to live in a perpetual state of repentance every day waking up going, I don't run my life well, God. Teach me and run my life for me. Not in this like passive, it's all you, but in this like, I want to learn from you and I want to know how to do it and, and teach me the kingdom ways, God. I want to live in repentance. That's why Jesus is often heard saying, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. Come, come learn how to live this way. Not just how to believe some things, how to sign a creed, how to subscribe to some ideas, but how to learn this way of kingdom living. So where do we start? Well, this idea keeps turning up in the scriptures of baptism. Super weird. Why does God want us to take this tiny little swim? It's like, it's not even a good swim. It's just like in and out. That's it. <laughs> Can't even wear the togs you want to wear, you know? Appropriateness in church and all of that sort of stuff. Wait, that just seems so weird that God would always connect repentance with baptism, that these two things are connected. And I think they're connected because within the act of baptism is the idea of repentance. It's like God's tiny little test to go, are you really still the God of your own life or am I? Have you really repented or are you still running the show here? Because if you can't just do some weird little thing that doesn't make sense to you, man, you're going to struggle with give away your money. 
man, you're going to struggle with turn the other cheek. Or you're going to struggle with trust me in the tough times and don't feel like you have to solve it yourself. You're going to trust me with be, you're going to struggle with be still and know. You're going to struggle to live a life counter to the culture around you and all of its values and ideals if you can't even trust me with the little swim. It's not that baptism's empty. It's not at all. But I think it's connected. I think it's always connected with repentance because it's this idea of like, that's bizarre, but God, I'm no longer the boss of my life. So if that's what you say to do, this is what repentance looks like. I'm just going to do what you say. I'm not going to keep presuming I know. I mean, baptism's significant. I get annoyed when we talk about it as symbolism. It certainly symbolizes things, but it's not just a symbol. Jesus never asks us to do symbols. Communion's not a symbol. Our two sacraments, baptism and, and, and communion, they're not symbols. We partake in Jesus in some mysterious way. And we are joined with his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, and we become a new person in some mysterious way. And does it speak of more than that? Of course it does, but... There's something mystical about those things. Jesus only asks us to do things that are real and really matter. And so he invites us to, to do this thing. I think as well, because baptism's like this way of making following Jesus not this out there thing or this like cerebral sort of ethereal thing that's happened in me. It's a way of grounding it in the dust and the dirt of my life. It's a way of creating this marker point where I like, I know that I know that I know that I am Christ's now. And we need those real things in our life to ground all of the stuff going on inside of us. And so I would definitely say to us today, if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd really ask the question, have you repented? And then if I'm asking that question, I'd, I'd definitely have to ask, are you at all living in the kingdom of God? Because you can come as you are, but you cannot come as you like. You have to listen to the words of Jesus. And you have to take them as true. And you have to become obedient to them. That is what kingdom living is. And so... I'll, I'll, two more things. I read this and I thought it was very important. Uh, the gospel, the good news, is that the rule of God has arrived in Jesus to save sinners before it arrives at his second coming in judgment. So the demand to repent is based on the gracious offer that God is present to forgive and on the gracious warning that someday those who refuse the offer will perish in God's judgment. This is the gap that we sit in as the church between where he first came with the gracious offer and then the second time where he's going to come and clean it all up. He gave us this mission to go, go find who wants God's rule and invite them into it. And you can come as you are, but you cannot come as you like. This is the message that Jesus gave us in Luke 24, 46. He said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations from, from the beginning, uh, uh, beginning from Jerusalem. Just one last thing to finish. Why don't we repent? 
three reasons, probably. Either blame, like, it's not really my fault. I was born this way. It was my family's fault. They made me like, like this. It was my upbringings. It was the country I lived in. It was like all of the environmental factors. And I want to say God has compassion on the environmental factors on your life. We're all dealt different hands. But none of them are an excuse for our own self-reliance. And we must own that and not do an Adam and an Eve where we keep going and blaming. Well, they said, but they said. The second is that we have an incorrect picture of God. We hear repentance and we think mean God. And so we don't do it. We think, why would I want anything to do with a judgmental God? And we completely misunderstand Him. Well, the third is pride. That we actually just think we're better on our own. And I love in the prodigal son story in Luke 15, you can read it during the week in your own devotional time. It'd be a great thing to meditate on, on what we've been talking about today. We see all of this happen. The son in his father's house says to his father, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Give me my inheritance. You're dead to me. <laughs> That's like most of our lives. God, nice try. But I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I think I know what's best. Give me the gifts, but I'm not interested in the giver. Give me your creation, but I'm not interested in the creator. And we leave him. And we go live our own way. And like the prodigal son, we end up down and out at some point of our lives. Sooner or later, no doubt. In one way or another. And the prodigal son realizes in that moment that he saw his father the wrong way the whole time. That he wasn't keeping something from him, but was a protector over his life. He realized that he had it better in his father's house than he could have had it any other way. He realized that he needed to humble himself if he was going to return and said he didn't really get the father completely. So he just had in his mind, if I could just go back as like a lowly servant, then that would be better than this. And so he returns. He's no longer blaming, no longer prideful, a less of a wrong picture of the father. But as he returns to the father, he discovers that the father was waiting for him the whole time. So this picture that he had of angry God disappointed in him was not the picture at all that's accurate. And then before he could really even get out his full repentance apology speech, the father's getting the new clothes for the party. And he's getting the new sandals and he's getting the ring to put on his finger, and he's bringing him to a higher state in his kingdom than he ever could have wished for in his repentance state. And this is why repentance matters. Because as we do it, it shatters our wrong pictures of God. As we do it, it moves us from pride to humility, and God can exalt the humble. And when we move from blame to ownership, it means that God is able to take ownership of us and reconciliation can take place.